Often the metaphors for success and best practice in business have a decidedly transport and mobility tenor. We often like to talk about clever founders' journeys. There are forks in the road, there are speed bumps to negotiate, moments when CEOs are maybe stuck in first gear or unable to take off and hit the heights. Well, I thought perhaps I'd bring you some insights from two fine founders on this week's programme, one of whom has kept his feet firmly on the ground and set a compelling direction of travel for first and last mile transport solutions, and another who's reached for the skies and transformed the outlook of a particularly beautiful corner of Europe with some seriously smart thinking in aviation. The co-founder of Global Chauffeur Service Black Lane and the founder and president of airline Sky Alps are both welcome on board for this week's episode of The Entrepreneurs, with me, Tom Edwards. Let's start on the road. Jens Voltorf is the CEO of Black Lane. He founded the business with friend Frank Steuer, now more than 10 years ago in Berlin. Black Lane, as Jens will tell us, is all about upgrading your travels. So whether you're on the road for business, travelling with family for a summer vacation, or just jet-lagged from flying long-haul, you can use Black Lane's chauffeur service to ensure you arrive that bit happier and certainly more relaxed than when you got into the car. It's a great pleasure to welcome Jens Voltoff to the show. Jens, a warm welcome indeed. Let's kick things off with a little on your own journey, if you like, going right back, I guess, taking in your experiences at Boston Consulting, etc. Jens, what's been the, the vision, the learnings from the start to now that have led you, well, led you to Black Lane and the seat, the driver's seat, if you like, that you occupy today? There are actually two stories um, that have led to Black Lane. One is um, a bit surprising because it has not much to do with the service itself, but it's more, more an ethos thing, more a value-driven uh, concept. When my co-founder Frank and I started to work with each other, and that's like 20 or so years ago, We've noticed that even in, in circumstances with great content and interesting projects, you often lack respectful surrounding, a nice infrastructure, happy colleagues, uh, happy customers, happy suppliers. Um, so one is always falling a bit short, one of those. And uh, this is what we experienced back then. Also, after uh, we've left our first couple of jobs and changed to other environments, it became better um, here or there. Sometimes it became worse. But it was never right. And we felt, why isn't there a place where you can bring the best out of the people, where people can be their authentic selves, where we are serving customers and they are happy. We are deploying supply and they are happy as well. Employees um, are just coming home and have peace of mind, basically, as a common theme. And this was following us, this idea of creating this peace of mind space for all involved stakeholders. Until then, and that's the second part of the story, until I uh, indeed was a heavy traveling consultant myself at Boston Consulting and was managing different projects in different continents and time zones of the world. And I was constantly on the road. And often enough, in the first and last mile of my trips, I had an issue. The flights were fine, the hotels were often fine, but combining the airport and the hotel was often an issue. And I was stranded in the middle of nowhere. So I figured this could be the opportunity to bring both together, to solve a real problem of a traveler out there, but at the same time to build this dream of an organization where you only have winners, basically. Yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds like you're something of an, I don't know, an idealist. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, but not naive, right? Like I know that um, you cannot build just something out of just ideas, um, but there must be some fundament to it. But you can merge both idealists' visions with also some good business sense and actually a very successful business. 
Well, yeah, and I wanted to ask you a little bit, Jens, about some of the contributing factors to building that solid business base. How much of it is about finding the right people? I know that's fundamental to the whole journey you embarked upon to bring a business that delivers that peace of mind. So giving that to the people is presumably fundamental, but it must also be presumably about partnership, about collaboration. Talk to us about that a little. I would say actually not so much. I think what you mentioned before, the people is the single one most important ingredient and everything else is falling into its place automatically. I think if you have the people ingredient right and you bring the right people on board and they feel valued and being taken care of and safe, that is opening every door. And then it actually even doesn't matter anymore uh, what you are also building, what service you are providing. It could be everything, but when you have a strong team, then everything becomes successful. That was my dream. And actually, hopefully also it worked out that way. Then, of course, partnerships are coming as a consequence of a successful organization with the people. The organization itself is only the shell around the people, right? Just the name, Black Lane is just the name around all those 500 Black Laners and their chauffeurs and our customers. And then you start attracting, for instance, investors, strategic investors that are bringing a very specific and valuable component to the table. Or you attract large customer partnerships, large airlines or so that are paving your your way um, into a brighter future. Uh, sometimes regionally interesting because you cannot understand everything um, yourself. You, you need to build on partnerships in order to bridge some gaps um, during your development. Jens, what about the conversations you have with those partners or those prospective partners? Do you sometimes find if you're talking to a big investor, maybe a serial investor or a big player that we might know in automotive, a Mercedes-Benz, for example, is the conversation more challenging for you? Does it move more slowly, perhaps? And once you enter this kind of startup space, is that sometimes a tricky thing to reconcile, that there'll be different paces of conversation and different nature of ambition, depending on who you're talking to? Uh, yes and no. So actually, uh, you can't get everything out of one partnership, right? Some partners are maybe moving a little slower, but on the other hand, they are then much more reliable and not as superficial as maybe some other dialogues where you are much faster and um, agreeing on something quickly. But then it shows that it's not a sustainable partnership made for the future. So yes, of course, um, strategic investors are slower. You have big corporations behind big enterprises, a lot of decision makers and decision gates, so to say. But then you are, if you enter such a partnership, it's long lasting and you can really trust in it. They are very helpful in good as much as in not so good times. And we had those, right? In 10 years of Blackline being a roller coaster startup story, um, you have to have those strong partners on board trusting in you and that you can always rely on. I love that idea of the roller coaster, Jens. And to sort of build on that analogy, if we go back to 2011, just when that roller coaster was ratcheting up, taking you up to the top of that first peak, did you understand some of the broader sustainability story? Because I think what's really interesting in the, what, over a decade now of Black Lane, the narrative around sustainability, the way that that speaks to automotive, to first and last mile, has changed to my way of seeing almost beyond recognition. But I wonder, did you feel like even at that stage, you were tapping into something that was really seismic that was happening in this space, even right at the start of the journey? Absolutely. And uh, actually to close the loop to what I mentioned at the beginning, how the idea of Black Lane evolved, 
we always wanted to build something sustainable. Now, my interpretation of the term sustainability is a bit broader than only the environmental component. But for me, if you want to build an organization, if you want to build a successful business, it must be sustainable from day one. The idea needs to be sustainable. The growth needs to be healthy. When I'm now reading all the news around profitability versus growth and burning money, and this is not long-lasting, then I'm not surprised because this is not um, how I would see a, a sustainable business to develop. Think of also the social component behind a business idea. Now, especially highlighting my suppliers, for instance. We have 25,000 uh, chauffeurs and their companies on our network, right? We have responsibility towards them, but we are also helping them to get out of their situations. They are often in difficult situations in their local communities. And with us, they have a chance to become an entrepreneur and grow and be a successful business themselves. Or economically, right? Think of our employees here when we had really had a difficult time in the last two years during the pandemic we made our all black laners um, shareholders of black lane because we know we are one and we can only pull through this as one big group all for one and one for all so all of those components but also the environmental one are sustainability to me and now just pushing on the environmental part the whole idea of Black Lane was actually to take empty legs, empty gaps out of the chauffeur industry, which are super unsustainable, right? You are often going empty um, to the airport to pick up a customer. But those empty legs were actually our target in the first place. We wanted to fill them with additional capacities. That was good for all, good for the customer, probably more affordable rides, but also good for the chauffeurs because they could fill up their empty legs. That was the first part to get into the environmental idea. But then in 2017, we um, did another big move, actually, where the first uh, in the global ground transportation space, where not everybody was talking about environment and sustainability, we became carbon neutral as a company, offsetting every single ride uh, worldwide that we were conducting. And we extended this to our operations, making our operations carbon neutral. And actually, last year, we even offset all submissions that we had from our birth in 2011. So back to 2011, so that we never left a carbon footprint in the world. That's our idea of how we are dealing with the environmental component, now heavily electrifying our fleet. Um, we have acquired electric-only chauffeur service in London as our starting point to really push on the electrification front. And we want to be the most ambitious one there and the most successful one there. In 2025, we want to have 75% of all rides being delivered electrical. And those are big, ambitious targets, ambitious goals. But I think a company like Blacklane has all the ingredients to achieve those. Well, yeah. And something tells me, Jens, that you may just do it as well. We'll come to priorities and plans for the future in, in a moment. But I did want to ask you, I was going to ask you to sort of give us the USP of Blacklane in comparison to the likes of other ride hailers or traditional first and last mile transport providers. But in a sense, from what you said, Jens, I... In a way, the USP almost is that you have multiple USPs. There's so many things about the engagement with your black laners. It's striking to me that you say, oh, well, sustainability to me means much more than the environment. But even when you explain what you mean by that, you then talk about achieving early carbon neutrality, social components, making your black laner shareholders. Do you think that you have only been able to achieve successes on all these multiple fronts because you had a bit of broader experience. You know, in your days, you mentioned all these different geographies and markets that you'd worked in as a consultant. Did that give you, do you think, personally, a unique 
perspective and give you the facility to be able to move on so many different fronts all at the same time? Was that fundamental, do you think, in terms of your personal growth and your personal story? I think it was a component. It was helpful um, to have a certain level of maturity when you jump into this startup adventure. It certainly helps. But I have two hearts in my chest, I must say. Often enough, I'm also thinking, what if I would have started earlier and wouldn't have waited so long? Right? I also wanted to, because of my maturity back then, wanted to do all my homeworks before. I was running myself for a taxi and limousine service license because I wanted to understand the industry inside out from the bottom. And those all helped. On the other hand, it also took some time. So hard to say, Tom, what outweighs the other. But for sure, like having seen uh, some businesses before, also as a consultant, six years in the industry, I've seen a lot of companies and also learned a lot what goes well, but also what should be avoided in your own business certainly was not harming. Well, yeah. And do you find then that there are other... I don't know, there's no shortcuts to use a, a motoring metaphor, but are there any practical tips or hints do you think that might be useful? Let's say there's a an aspiring entrepreneur listening to this conversation right now, Jens. Do you have any mantras or little kind of ideas that you come back to always that help to inform day-to-day decision-making or big decisions? Or do you think that you just have to look at every day as different, every challenge on its own merits? Oh, no, I would say like the first is um, don't be afraid of jumping into such a journey, such an adventure. If you have an idea and if you feel you should go for it, then you should also go for it. You should just do it. You should jump. But as you mentioned, there are indeed no shortcuts. So also be prepared that it is a roller coaster. And there are countless moments in Black Lane's history where I was extremely disappointed and where things were getting out of control, where I had uh, little hopes of how things can proceed. Um, but you have to have the strength to pull it through and to never lose hope and to uh, never lose also the trust in your surrounding, into your network, into your colleagues, but also into your family. And you should ask for advice. You should ask for help. Don't think that as a superhero, you are able to solve every single problem yourself. And there are a lot of people that are around you that are much smarter, much more experienced, especially in some specific topics, uh, specialized in things that you should trust on. And I think that that would be a round description of a probably successful startup. And tell me what the consequence of all of this, all of these learnings, all of this experience, the amazing journey so far, Jens. How does that shape the way you look to the future? What's your timeline? Do you look at the next 10 years? Is it important to keep some rigor and discipline and only look in measurable chunks, you know, where you're going to be in, say, 12 months? How do you calibrate the way that you plan your next steps going forward? That's also interesting because you have to have both, right? You're like, I'm planning for the next 10 years for sure. And I do have also, Blackland has its vision, how it's going to develop and what additional services we are creating and probably also when. At the same time, like we are now here and today in the situation where like after one and a half challenging years or two challenging years, recovery is breaking through the roof and we are having to deal with 20, 30% month over month growth right now. And this needs to be delivered, right? We need to deliver it in the known quality that we are famous for and with the reliability and the trust from both the chauffeur side, but also the guest side. So in those moments when you are just so much stressed operationally, then there is not much time to think about 2035. Yeah, but indeed you have to balance both timeframes. 
Well, go on then, just playfully. What will the world of mobility solutions in our great cities, Jens, what will that look like in 2035? I'm sure people ask you this all the time and they say, oh, will it be like, you know, Blade Runner and we'll be in flying black lane cars and all this sort of thing. I'm sure it'll be slightly, maybe slightly less futuristic than that. But what's your best guess for what that landscape will look like in 2035? Well, Black Lane's overall mission uh, or purpose is actually broader than just the mobility part, right? We we have the ambition to take stress out of mobility, stress out of travel, providing peace of mind to the people involved. And it starts with a with a chauffeur service with the first and last mile that can be on the street, but sooner, rather sooner than later, will be in the air. For us, it doesn't really matter because we are serving customers who want to get from A to B in the most comfortable, but also fastest way and safest way possible. And if it's a flying taxi, that is one possibility. If it's a car, that's another one. We also have boats today, right? When you travel with Blackline in Venice, then you have a limousine part and a boat part um, to it. So that really doesn't really matter. And then you get further into the travel experience, right? And there are much more stressful parts um, beyond just the road trip of a travel that uh, Black Lane can help and will help to solve and make it more comfortable for the traveler to uh, maneuver in a, through a foreign city or through a foreign airport, avoiding queues um, wherever we can just be reliable and helping, yeah, taking the stress out of travel, as I mentioned before. They should just feel, our customers should feel as being protected wherever they go. And Black Lane is taking care of the rest. Jens Voltorf, co-founder and CEO of Black Lane. And you can learn more about the brand, their achievements to date, and their extraordinary wider commitments, some of which Jens was just talking about. Head to blacklane.com now and join the journey. Coming up, we're off to beautiful Bolzano for some alpine air. But first, it's time to check in with Monocle's business editor, David Hadari. He's here with the Entrepreneur's News. Thanks, Tom. Taking a look at the transport and mobility headlines from around the world, there are the obvious strikes on UK railways and snarl-ups at airports across Europe. But looking further afield, there are plenty of other things to talk about. Australia's Qantas Airways and Airbus will pour 190 million euros into kickstarting Australia's sustainable aviation fuels industry. The airline is working towards meeting its goal of reducing carbon emissions, and sustainable aviation fuel, which usually includes lower emissions fuels from natural sources, currently accounts for 0.1% of global airline fuel. By 2050, Qantas hopes to have it comprise more than half its fuel. In the US, Toyota has become the latest electric vehicle maker to partner with Redwood Materials on its comprehensive EV battery recycling program. Redwood already partners with Ford and battery maker Panasonic, and the new deal will see the company supply Toyota's planned 1.2 billion euro battery plant in North Carolina with recycled batteries. And in Hawaii, Boston-based Regent Craft is working with Mokulele Airlines on developing the world's first sea glider transportation network. The plan will ensure that sea gliders, which are electric vehicles that fly 30 feet off the water's surface, can take groups of 12 passengers between Hawaiian islands. Just remember that when your Ryanair flight is stuck on the tarmac this summer. And that's the Entrepreneur's News. Back to you, Tom. Thanks, David. Next up, we're looking to the skies. More specifically, those beautiful skies above Bolzano in Sudtirol, because that's the setting for our next entrepreneurial success story on this week's journey. In recent years, several airlines have tried to make a go of running air connections from Bolzano's lovely but tiny airport, so that locals, travellers or tourists didn't need to continue to rely on the likes of Verona, Innsbruck or even Venice to get there. 
But over the past couple of years, charter flights operated by Austrian airlines to resort destinations in southern Italy have seen promise, which is perhaps why new entrant Sky Alps thinks they can make a go of it. Sky Alps founder and president Josef Gosner, who also owns that airport, has Sky Alps flying to six destinations from Bolzano, including Ibiza, and they're adding more all the time. So short hops for those chasing some Balearic sunshine or winter sports fans heading inbound to discover the Dolomites, exciting plans are afoot. A few weeks ago, Josef Gosner sat down with Monocle's editorial director Tyler Brulee and Tyler began by asking him why an area known for tourism had struggled to run an airport on its doorstep. It was more a political problem. This was a public airport, so they don't want any traffic in Bolzano till we have bought the airport. And after we seen it was a big success. We were studying and all uh, people was very happy, the tourism. And uh, we have a big pleasure to uh, find out new routes in any direction from north to south and from Bolzano to the islands in the summer. Now the big problem was in effect the not want to have tourism by airplane from the political. I can recall the discussion, there was this fear of big jets coming in. Everyone was worried that it was going to be 737s from EasyJet, that there'd be Airbus A320s coming in. So this seemed to be a lot of the, I would say, the fear around this. Of course, you went around that. You sidestepped that issue with your choice of aircraft, a good Canadian plane, I might add, as well. Was that also part of it as well, this notion of environment, noise, it was going to upset the cows in the mountains. Was this part of the political resistance that you had? Yes. The choice of the aircraft was very good. The Bombardier 400 cool, quiet, was the biggest choice, the good choice. And also the neighbors can't hear our aircraft. For this reason, it's calmed down a little bit, the resistance now. And I think in the long way, we can have also... 15 aircrafts in our airport, and we have big plans. When you thought about, of course, the business plan, and I think when people think about Sudtirol as a region, they think about tourism and that they're going to go walking in the mountains or they're going to go and have spa or they are going to go skiing. How do you see the division with the airline between business traffic? Because I think this is one thing people who don't know the region are not aware of all of the big global companies that are actually based up and down the valleys throughout Sudtirol. So how do you see the mix between the leisure traveler and also the businessman, businesswoman who needs to get to a meeting in Germany, who needs to get down to Rome or somewhere else? Yes, the business traffic will be very low, also in the next future. And we uh, contact always with teams and with the telephone and with the videos. So maybe with Zurich, a big hub for America, if you make your journeys, but in the next year, very low, and maybe it's coming out in two, three, four years, 10%, 15, not more, I think. We have 33 millions of uh, tourism, sleeping tourism in uh, South Tyrol, so we can have 5 to 10%, they will come with the airplane. So our airport will be full, it's no problem. 
And when you think about, let's say, the leisure traffic, how much of it is outbound? How much of it is people from South Tyrol who want to go to Sardinia that you want to fly them to Sicily? So versus I live in Hamburg and I also want to uh, go and do Langlauf up in the mountains. What what do you see as the, as the balance between those? We have 400,000 citizens in Bolzano, in South Tyrol, and we have more or less 50 million people in uh, UK, Germany, and all the Northlands states. So it's an inbound airport, not outbound. Tell me a little bit about the flying experience, because we're in a time when people want to have a unique offer. So if I get on board, do I feel like I'm on a, a Sudtirol airline? Is there going to be speck between the bread on the plane? Am I going to get a legrain when the trolley comes around? Or is it is the offer more of like any other European airline, which is, of course, trying to compete on price? No, indeed, we are very special. So we have this stuff, what you told before, Schüttelbrot, wine, Lagrain and uh, all this stuff. So if you come in the airplane, you feel South Tyrol. This is easy. We are a small airplane. We can do this. And this is not a matter of price. This is a matter of service. And we like to be very South Tyrol. It's quite aggressive when you say that you can go from two aircraft now. You've got two more Q400s coming you can build up to 15 over time. Do you see that as solid throughout the year? Because I think one of the challenges for Sudtirol is that it has its summer season, which goes into autumn, and then it goes into its sort of Christmas season. But then hotels do close at certain times, etc. Do you see this as a year-round offer? Because that's I think that's one of the challenges to me. I've always thought it's a great place to go 12 months of the year. I mean, you can go to Sudtirol anytime, but the mentality of the hotels sometimes is a little bit very stuck in this sort of alpine seasonal world. We are very lucky in this thing. We have 60% of tourism in the summer and 40% in the winter. We have 10 months of season. So it's great. You can fly 10 months. So it's a lot of time. For this reason, we need uh, all these aircrafts if we want to make the same as Innsbruck. Innsbruck make uh, 1.2 million before the virus. Now it's, of course, going down. But Innsbruck flies only three months. So for this reason, we think to achieve those numbers of airplanes. So how do you see the growth trajectory? When we look out right now, Okay, tricky time. I think a lot of people do want to get out and travel again. There's no question about that. And maybe we have a bit of a shaky summer, but who knows? Of course, you, like many others, could be ones to benefit from this conflict that people will stay in Europe, as you're saying. So as you look out, four aircraft quite soon, six by next year, what's the growth look like? The growth of the aircraft will be, yes, two per years, maybe, and uh, more or less 50,000 passengers more per year. And when that comes to, of course, pilot capacity, etc., I would imagine, okay, I don't recall that Alitalia was flying Q400s, but no problem getting staff at the moment. We know that we're in a global talent crisis. So is there a problem with pilots right now? Right now, it's absolutely no problem. We have uh, 1,600 pilots in uh, Italy who lose their job with the Alitalia deal. So we are a good chance for... The Italian pilots. 
And do you see yourself linking up and having to be a partner? Obviously, you mentioned you know we're standing in Zurich today. Of course, you have Frankfurt up the street. Will it be important to have some type of connectivity to some hubs? Because if I am resident also in South Troll, you know, and, and in time, I'm sure there will be American or Asian tourists who will want to come to you. Is it a notion that you should have at least one or two hubs that you're connected to? Of course. Uh, we see also now with the first flight from Hamburg, Berlin and from Düsseldorf, we have American sport guys who make the marathon. They're coming. So we now work on the hubs. Okay. One hub can be a Gatwick, Berlin for the east travel, but now east is a little bit low, maybe not zero, but Zurich, you can fly everywhere. So two hubs is enough, Gatwick and uh, Zurich. We will do this. That was Josef Gossner, founder and president of Sky Alps, talking to Monocle's editorial director, Tyler Brule. And get up to date with Sky Alps' latest route editions and other news. Just head to skyalps.com. That's all for this week's episode. Join us again at the same time next week as we motor on and buckle up for more inspirational voices in entrepreneurship around the world. This programme was mixed and edited by David Stevens. Special thanks to him this week. And of course, thanks once again to Jens and the Black Lane team and all the Sky Alps crew too, plus the guys and gals manning Monocle's Zurich operation. You can listen again and find out more about the entrepreneurs at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. Plus, never miss a trick, nor the product of David Hadari's business smarts in print. Subscribe to Monocle magazine now via the website for your monthly hit of business inspiration on the page. For now, though, it's goodbye from me, Tom Edwards, and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>